You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Right. Well, we are back with another round of judges. We were with left Jephthah as he was in the process of he killed his killing daughter. his daughter. Yeah, we assume. Yeah, and we were talking about what a horrible the story this is, and how much we've tried to soften it to make it a little bit more um, palatable for mm-hmm. our delicate sensibilities. Yeah. Well, no one likes the idea of killing your own kids. Well, I hope not. I mean, although I will admit there are days when they were younger that I just, I, I had to fight the temptation, but they're alive and well, just so you know. Yeah, boarding <laughs> school sometimes feels appeal- appealing, but... I looked into that option. Murder. <laughs> Never been on my list. Uh, you know, I, but, you know, I'm a grandma now, so um, this is your reward for <laughs> yeah. taking care of your kids. Yeah, I can get it. Get to uh, send them back. <laughs> right. And it's the most rewarding moments of my year so far, I just got to say. So, so yeah. <laughs> so dark humor aside, um, we got a lot going on in this story. Uh, we really do. And I think as we go back and pick it apart, because last week we, we kind of laid out the, the bare bones. Mm-hmm. And um, now we're going to kind of go into, uh, first we're going to wrap up Jephthah's story. And then we're going to go back and look at where his story connects with other passages of the Bible mm-hmm. and those retellings and how the Bible uses retellings to uh, cause us to see more in each story when they're read together versus reading them individually. And, you know, we've already shown on other episodes how enlightening this can be. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and we already hinted at one of those connections. But let's look at first, uh, actually, before we wrap up his story, let's, let's look at what's wrong with Jephthah's response. I mean, obviously, he was wrong for making the vow. Yeah. So, so quick recap before mm-hmm. we do that. Okay. We'll, we'll just kind of condense it. You know, we, we talked about his political speech and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. generally, again, as I mentioned in the last episode, where we usually pick up on the story is he made this vow that whatever whatever came out of his house to greet him when he got mm-hmm. home, he was going to sacrifice it to Yahweh. That sounds really good Very on the pious. surface. Like, like, hey, I'm going to give something to God for winning this battle. When in fact, it was him being the politician he has shown himself to be. He's trying to negotiate with God the same way he did with the king of Amnon. Then he comes home. What And, and who greets him is his daughter. Mm-hmm. And so... That's when we get into his response. Um, Total which, victim blaming. You brought well, me to my knees. Yeah, victim blaming. It was, it was uh, denying responsibility, mm-hmm. not taking uh, responsibility for his words, because we do tend to, to, we tend to separate that in our current culture about not, uh, you know, oh, it's just words. We were just, we're just, just joking or, yeah. or uh, what was the? I do find it really funny. There was a, there's, the, there's on one of the introvert pages, someone posted this thing. It's like, I know when I made plans with you two hours ago, <laughs> as I, I knew I was person. into it then, but I was, that was so much younger and full of hope. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. So. I, well, and in this culture, words meant something. Uh, you didn't have lawyers to back things up. You didn't have mm-hmm. people to arrest other people for breaking contracts. You you didn't have all of the safeguards that our society has put in place. So all you had were words. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think there's actually something really appealing about that for me. Uh, you, you know, maybe if we went back to uh, death being a consequence of of speaking the wrong thing, we might be more careful. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. I kind of like free speech. I'm a fan of not getting killed for the things I say. <laughs> this is, well, you know, th- this is us, you know. It's kind you, of a modern luxury. I get that. Yeah. But, but that's, yeah, that's where we are. But where Jephthah is, you, you, you don't have you that. You don't have that. No, definitely not. And so he, he really, he messed this up. And there's so much wrong in the story. And I, I you know, first off, we have to acknowledge Human sacrifice was forbidden under the Torah. Right. So uh, we have uh, just just three verses where this is brought up, and I'm just going to give you the references. Leviticus 18.21, Leviticus 22-5, Jeremiah 32.5. Every passage in that grouping not only talks about how child sacrifice is forbidden, it also connects it with Moloch, the god of the Ammonites. Mm -hmm. So... uh, very specific that this is an abomination to God. And then on the flip side of this, though, we've got this thing where Jephthah has made a vow. Mm-hmm. And, and it is important that you do keep those vows. Uh, Numbers 30, verse 2 says, If a man vows to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. And we have kind of that echoed, you know, Jephthah says, I open my mouth to the Lord. And his daughter, um, restates that. Yes, you've opened your mouth to the Lord. You have to do this. And so he's placed himself in this, this situation where no matter what he does, it seems like he's going to break the Torah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's the problem. He had outs. He had several outs. As a matter of fact, uh, the first one, of course, you know, fulfilling the law, that it, fulfilling his vow mm-hmm. would have been keeping one aspect of the Torah, breaking the other. He could have nullified the vow, and that verse is um, Leviticus 5, verses 4 through 6. Let's see if I can read it here. It says, Or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes the guilt of any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he's committed, he shall bring to the Lord in, as compensation for his sin that he has committed a female from the flock a lamb or a goat for a sin offering and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. So he had an out. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. could have invoked this and he, he chose not to. Uh, he could have redeemed his daughter's life under Leviticus 27 and there's, it's one through eight. And it's where the firstborn is redeemed mm-hmm. from the temple because the firstborn, male or female, but particularly the male, belonged to God. Right. And they were supposed to be the priest, but the, the, the practice was that the family would take them to the temple and they would offer a monetary compensation so that child could be returned to their home. Right. Um, Mary and Joseph do this with Jesus. And even though the, this law doesn't line up perfectly with what's going on with Jephthah, the, the rabbinic arguments always allow for some creative application if it's to save life. If it's to save life. And that's, yeah, that's the important thing. And so what you have here is him either through 
possible ignorance, which we've talked about how that might not be it. Yeah, he knew his history. Um, he knew the history, yeah, which meant he probably would have known the Torah, which is which is also pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, being that he was the son of a prostitute, right? And so, that I I I mean that's just kind of a an mm-hmm. aside. He was he was in an he was in a culture where he would have been allowed to have been educated, mm-hmm. even being in a lower social class. So that's that's interesting to me. That's a very good point. So, um, which a lot of people just kind of overlook that, and but that's neither here nor there in the current topic, I guess. But you know, there 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 could have through ignorance or through just thinking to put his own word above anything else, and I think that's kind of where we are. Is he's seeing that he's kind of elevating his word to that that can be better or greater, or more powerful mm-hmm. than the options presented in the Torah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and I think that perception of self carries over to his daughter, because that's the other thing that could have happened. She could have refused. It's been a basic assumption for the, the application of the Torah that no one can make an oath that binds another or restricts another. Hmm. So she could have said, no, you don't get to do this to me. She doesn't. Now, is it possible she wasn't educated in the Torah? We don't know. We just have evidences of, of Jephthah's knowledge of his national history. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't know why she didn't do that. And it could have, again, been ignorance. It could have been just, this is the, the main law that we've focused on for so long, that keeping your word is important. And you really, and I'm just, just coming to mind now, Jephthah's status in the community revolved around people keeping the word. Right. Because they had offered him to let him be the head of Israel. So his whole identity and, and cultural standing, it needs that passage to be upheld. Mm-hmm. And not just in his household, but, but across the nation. But most important, um, the community has spoke, spoken up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because we have a parallel story in First Samuel 14. And this is the story where Saul is fighting the Philistines. Mm-hmm. And he says, no one's going to eat today. Yeah, yeah. And he says, anyone who does eat is going to die. And Jonathan is walking through a forest. He doesn't know his dad's made this oath. And he puts his spear out, gets a little honey on it, licks it. Somebody sees him. And Saul is going to kill Jonathan. Yeah. And Saul is showing that he's not going to be any better of a leader than Jephthah was. And so this is one of the reasons why the nation needed to fear him. Right. And so what happens in verse 45 of that passage, the people said, no, Jonathan's the one who saved us. Jonathan's the one who won the victory. You can't kill him. Right. I also think it's kind of interesting that if I remember right, they say because he did eat the honey, he had enough strength to fight the battle. Mm-hmm. And, I don't remember if that's in the scripture, but I know it's part of the commentary. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That's what I, I couldn't remember if it was in this. Yeah. If it was right in the story or not. But mm-hmm. that's yeah. And so it's kind of like. Saul, you made a stupid decision to, to make this oath. And, and Jonathan tells, us, tells the people, my dad was foolish for doing this. Mm-hmm. And so when the community speaks up and says, you can't do this, Saul bows to the demands of the community. And where was the community for Jephthah's daughter? Right. I, I, I mean, and, and that's kind of interesting, too, that, you know, uh, to see a son say that about his father in this culture. <laughs> right. That's pretty daring. Oh, yeah, that's could get him killed right there, especially when dad's king. Right, <laughs> so. right. And so, and 
and of course, there's all kinds of commentary on the honor your mother and father mm-hmm. about, like, man, we and, can go on a... And is honoring blind obedience and acceptance of everything they did, or is there time to stand up and... Well, I, 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 think, I think the commentary on that's pretty clear that, that we should, that, that that assumes that they are following the Torah. Correct. That, you know, if, if they ask, you know, if they abandon Yahweh or, or mm-hmm. do something rash or sinful like that, then it's okay to, to say, no, that's... Well, we, we have that. That's not okay. In Gideon's story, when mm-hmm. God told him to go tear down the, pl- the worship place for Baal, mm-hmm. and God tells Gideon to go do this, and it, the, the place of worship belonged to Gideon's father. Right. So, uh, you know, there, there is a place to stand up and say, parents are out of line. And I, I know most of us don't want to hear that, but I mean, it's, it's, it's there. But I think one of the things, too, we have to remember, the community didn't speak up when Jephthah was kicked out of his home. Right. And so we're saying kind of Jephthah's story being replayed in his daughter. I mean, that only it's, it's worse. Mm-hmm. Jephthah got, got cast out into this place where he's going to surround himself with worthless men, but his daughter's going to be cast into death. Right. And nobody's speaking up. And so this is a commentary, not so much on Jephthah at this point as it is the community. Mm-hmm. And when, is we, when are we as a community supposed to rise up against leadership and say, what you're doing is wrong. It needs to be addressed. Being silent is no longer an option. And, you know, I think a lot of times we kind of have this cop out in the Christian community that, oh, we have to honor the leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and we're right back to that question is honoring, whether it's leadership or mother and father, is that blind obedience and acceptance? Or is it saying, I'm going to honor you by telling the truth? Right. And so that's, we're seeing this played out in a story. And there's, there's this really interesting story in the Talmud. Uh, now, if you remember back in Gideon's story, there was the unnamed prophet who showed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Was it uh, Phineas? Uh, he, he was that the, the uh, it's not in the text, but that's what the Talmud said, right. said it was. Right. Uh, if you want to hear more about that, just go back to the Gideon episode. But the, the rabbis claim that Phineas is still alive at the time of Jephthah. Okay. And so as a prophet, he had the obligation to go to Jephthah and say, no, this is wrong. I'm going to release you from your vow on behalf of God and sure. basically nullify everything. Mm-hmm. But Phineas said, no, I am a great prophet. I'm not going to go to him. And Jephthah said, I'm the king or leader of Israel. I'm not going to go to him. Mm-hmm. And so both men in their pride don't go to each other. And so as a result, the child dies. Hmm. And, you know, this there's some teaching in that. Now, whether or not that actually happened, we don't know. I think we right, need, yeah, it's Talmudic. Let's, yeah, uh, let's, it's apocryphal. Yeah, let, let's best. place um, the pri- right caveats on that so that everyone knows. I'm not saying that's in the Bible. This is uh, one of the Jewish um, traditions that's grown up around the Bible. And those are just fun for what they have to teach us. And mm-hmm. I actually have another one here in a little bit I'm going to share. But, you know, the ultimate result is Jephthah dies childless. And as a consequence, he really should have been forgotten. Mm-hmm. He, he should have been erased from all of history. Right. He's only remembered for his faith. Mm-hmm. That's the only re- reason why he's, he's remembered. And, it, you know, and I brought it up last episode. It's so cool that the one who is actively remembered, the one who the, the community actively attempts to keep the memory alive is the daughter of Jephthah. And it's the women 
mm-hmm. specifically who who try to keep her memory alive. Yeah, and that and that is interesting though because we did talk also about in in Hebrews where he's honored for his faith, mm-hmm. and so it it is kind of interesting because you have basically it, traditionally he sh- like you said he should have been forgotten, mm-hmm. and so you have God this overturning of the order um, yeah. that that we see uh, through Christ's work mm-hmm. um, because it is, you know, the Christ, you know, it is Christ's work on the cross that allows the cre- accreditation of righteousness to be uh, fulfilled. Right. So, you know, that's, I think that's very interesting. Uh, well, and this story actually has some connections to something very specific that Jesus did. And we're going to, we're going to get there, but I wanted to go back to your point about Isaac. Yeah. Because um, Block re- included in his book this, this great table of comparisons between the Jephthah story and the story of Isaac. And I'm not going to hit all the points, but I, I want people to see th- it, how connected it is and to mm-hmm. know it's even more connected than what I'm showing. Okay. So um, so the, the, the first thing is we have this only child. Uh, and we specifically have that word used. Right. Uh, so the words for that are identical. Uh, now, in Isaac's story, the, the test is Abraham's commitment. Mm-hmm. That's what's mm-hmm. being tested here. Mm-hmm. Jephthah is trying to test God's commitment. Mm-hmm. And so you have this exact opposite event unfolding. Yeah. So we're getting into some, some reversals. It's very much reversals. And so, you know, God speaks to Abraham commanding him to sacrifice Isaac. Jephthah volunteers. He, he says, I'm going to kill someone for you is basically what his vow amounts to. And obviously that was the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when, you, when you put it like that, I mean, it's like, well, didn't you already do enough in the battle? I mean, <laughs> yeah. How many people did, were you willing to kill? Yeah. Plus one. Yeah. Um. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> but you know, um, God speaks directly to Abraham about Isaac. God never says one word to Jephthah about his daughter. And that's neither a command to do it. And it's not a voice interrupting where God's voice came down and interrupted the sacrifice of Isaac. It never happens for Jephthah's daughter. Right. Um, Abraham leaves his homeland in obedience. When he leaves Ur, Mm -hmm. Jephthah's driven out. Mm -hmm. So Isaac is named by God. Jephthah's daughter never has a name. Mm-hmm. Um, the father takes the child to the mountain. Jephthah's daughter leaves for the mountain without her father. So you have those connections. Like I said, both only children, one male, one female. That's your big tip off that this is going to be a story of reversal right mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, the sacrifice of Isaac is sure the legacy of Abraham and, and Isaac both. The death of Jephthah's daughter destroyed his legacy. Mm-hmm. So there's this counter, um, these counterpoints going on because both are remembered as men of faith. Mm -hmm. And so I think when we connect the stories, we see how depraved Israel's become, that they have become a nation, that um, their, their perspective on Yahweh has become completely distorted. And this is no longer a God who abhors child sacrifice, but a God who can be bribed by child sacrifice. It, that's that's their perspective. That's their perspective. Yeah. Well, and I think it's it, well, and, and I'm going to touch. I wanna, mm-hmm. You're talking about the the opposites of 
you have Abraham who secured his legacy and then um, Jephthah who, Jephthah who destroyed, who destroyed it. it. So, you, I mean, you have, you have the best and the worst mm-hmm. right there, the best outcome mm-hmm. and the worst outcome. Yeah. And it's, I'm not saying Abraham was perfect, right? but I'm saying like you have the, the, the best outcome and the worst outcome and, and both can be used and redeemed into God's purpose. Right. And so that's, that's very cool. <laughs> and, and, you know, and that's the thing when you see these played out side by side and realizing that God doesn't have to use perfect people to accomplish his mission. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we keep repeating this. If he can do it for Jephthah, he can do it for you. If he did it for Gideon, he can do it for you. Right. And that's the reason why these stories need to be told is because we need to remember that the imperfections do not disqualify us from God's love. And the Bible just keeps repeating that over and over and over again. And the gift is forgiveness. Right. The, the gift is grace. And it comes in the form of a person that we have to accept and, and grab hold of. But it's there for everyone. And so I, I think so often, particularly outsiders to the church, think, oh, I've got to get my act together before God can love me. And that's not true. Right. And right. so I, I don't think it can be repeated enough. Otherwise, half the Bible would be gone. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because because we do see that same theme in so many stories. I mean, there are other themes, there are other variations that exist in those stories, but it, but that's the one that is constant. Always. No matter how much we screw it up, God is bigger. Yeah. God is greater and he is the greatest. He will overcome anything. Yeah. To yeah. achieve his purposes and to redeem those he loves. And, and it's and, all about relationship. Yeah. And it, it's, it's amazing to me that it is about that relationship between a parent and a child so often that he's trying to establish. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it, it makes sense that a, that a nation that has a skewed viewpoint of God has a skewed viewpoint of fatherhood. Yeah. And so, but as a nation, what they're, what they're doing is they're doing what we, we're all guilty of. They've built their theology on the parts that suited them. God's on their side. He's going to give them this. He gave them this land. He's going to maintain their possession of this land. He's going to uphold their legacy that he has promised them as a nation. Mm. But they've forgotten that he's not like other gods. Other gods gave land to their people. We mm-hmm. already saw that in the interchange between Amnon and, and uh, Jephthah, Jephthah mm-hmm. earlier. But God's just because they share that in common, it doesn't mean they're the same. God is different. He's distinct from the other gods. He's not going to be bribed like the other gods. Um, the, the cultural norms and societal expectations were not to dictate how one responded to God. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and back to, uh, and I, I, you, mm-hmm. you mentioned the bribe thing again. We, we, we touched on that last week. Mm-hmm. But, and, and I know you've said this before, but you, I, again, to the, the Frighteners episode where, you know, Doug even said, uh, you know, that with, with other religions, we do something to get the gods to do something for us. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in our faith in Christianity, and we do things because we are obeying right. um, God, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't work. You know, we're, when we're trying to manipulate the spirit, then the then we're trying to practice magic or witchcraft. And that's, that's the thing. Uh, we, we have this tendency to think that God can be negotiated with like a political adversary. And that was the, the trap of Jephthah. Mm-hmm. 
And, and I think the other thing that really comes out is that piety as defined by culture is always inferior to God's law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because if he was worshiping a Canaanite God, what he did would have been not only acceptable, it would have been celebrated. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a horrible thing. And this, this whole story is supposed to be heartbreaking. It's supposed to be disturbing. You are not supposed to read the story and feel good about it. And that's why I kind of, after doing this study in particular, I almost resent those people who've tried to soften it because it's not, and I know what, they, what they're trying to do. And I'm not, you know, like I said, this is just a gut level reaction and I have to rein it in. But mm-hmm. the thing is, if we steal that terrifying, horrifying element of the story, we're missing the point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We are supposed to be so appalled. And, but the, being appalled really is about this particular episode in the narrative. And we, we have to remember there's a greater narrative going on. So I found this really great paper. You're going to okay. love this. Uh, the author's name is Mary Ann Beavis. And I'm not making a joke because we have the last, grew up with the last name Underwood, at least I did. But anyway, uh, her paper is The Resurrection of Jephthah's Daughter, Judges 1134 through 40, and Mark 521 through 24, 35 and 43. So she suggests that we're supposed to read Mark 5 as a continuance of Jephthah's story or a reversal. Of Jephthah's story. Okay, well, give us the summary of Mark 5. Okay, so Mark 5 is, um, there's this guy named Jarius whose daughter is dying, and he goes to Jesus and says, you know, my daughter's at the point of death. Mm -hmm. And he's the ruler of the synagogue. And so Jesus agrees to go with Jarius back to his house. And, you know, along the way, they're interrupted by the woman with the issue of blood Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. we, and then we pick up with the uh, narrative again. But during that interlude, the messengers arrive to Jarius and say, your daughter's dead. Right. Don't, don't bother the teacher anymore. He can go on and do what he needs to do. And Jesus says, do not fear, just only believe, only believe. And so they arrive at this house full of mourners. Jesus kicks them out and says, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. And he commands her to rise. And of course she does. And so in both stories, we have these connections. We, we both, we have a father who's a ruler in Israel because Jarius was a ruler of the synagogue, mm-hmm. the ruler of the temple. Uh, we have the only child. Uh, Mark doesn't use that, doesn't say that. Luke, that's Luke eight forty two, uses the exact same word to describe Jarius' daughter as the Septuagint uses for Jephthah's daughter. Okay. Okay. So, because yeah, uh, yeah. the story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So we've got all three of the gospels there. Both fathers grieve. Now, I think Jephthah comes out as anger and victim blaming, but I think there is an element of grief beneath that. Jarius, of course, I mean, he's concerned enough to go and try to track Jesus down. Um, kind of less importantly, but still kind of significant, Jarius is the Romanized version of Jer, who was one of the judges right before the Jephthah story. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so we had Tola and Jer. Now, Again, just like we had with the Isaac story, we have the contrast. And so, you know, Jephthah's promised to kill his daughter, and Jarius is hoping to save his daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in Jephthah's story, the daughter runs away, and this one, Jarius runs away to, mm-hmm. to find 
Yeah, Jarius is uh, met by his daughter dancing, uh-huh. and Jer- I'm sorry, Jephthah's met by his daughter dancing. Yeah, Jarius is met by mourners. Um, and my next one on the list was that running point. Uh, the daughters of Israel mourn Jephthah's daughter. Mm-hmm. Jesus makes the mourners unnecessary, hmm. and so. Both stories are really unique because they do focus on that father-daughter relationship. Uh, We don't have a lot of that in the Bible. The story of Jephthah's daughter has been retold over and over again, specifically in Josephus and in Pseudophilo, the the daughter becomes the hero because she did just accept her fate. But in the Gospels, the hero makes that shift that we've, we've talked about last, last episode. Jesus is the hero. He's the one who can redeem and restore and, you know, and resurrect the one who's died. And so now, no longer are we presented with this God who may have tacitly, and I'm using this very loosely, condoned the death, the Jeff, the death of Jephthah's daughter, mm-hmm. but actively stands against the death of the child of the children yeah. and will act to bring them back into that relationship, that parental family relationship so that they can participate in it, which, hmm. you know, that's ult- the ultimate goal for all of us. Yeah. And that's what God wants for all of us. And so we have this, it's wild. It, it's a great reversal. And we see how the story doesn't have to end in the old Testament. The story is being continued into the new Testament. And I think even to this day. Right. And so, you know, the, the heart of the father becomes so symbolic of what the, the true message of God's word is supposed to bring about. Yeah. Yeah. And so where we see Jephthah had been so focused on just aspects of theology and Jarius, who just, he just believed, he mm-hmm. believed that God was good. God loved and God wanted to restore. Hmm. And so I also love the fact, too, she pointed out uh, in, in her paper, you know, that he doesn't bargain with God. He, right. just, he just asks for, for faith. I mean, he doesn't give any flowery speeches. He, he, he doesn't try to, to bribe Jesus. He, he just asks for help. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're supposed to do. Just, yeah. just ask. Just ask. Yeah, that's, man, that's so cool. <laughs> it, isn't it great? Because I, I don't think I would have connected the two stories. And that's one of the things I love about being able to research for this is because I find these, these points of connection that um, we don't always get to see brought out by a lot of teachers. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, for me, I, it was like, oh, the story doesn't end with her dying. The story actually. Yeah, that's I mean, yeah, that's crazy. I never would have put those together uh, on my own, I don't think. I know I wouldn't have. And this is the reason why I research. (laughs) That's, and that's the fun part for me. Uh, And I, and getting to do the podcast just means I get to share all the fun I've been having now. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and you get to have an excuse to do more of it, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, My poor husband come home to, to books scattered everywhere. And he's like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, leave me alone. I'm on a treasure hunt. (laughs) (laughs) I need that one for this and this one for, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's really how it how it works. So, and it's like, oh, I don't have a book that covers that. So now I'm off on a twelve hour Google search, which winds up being ridiculous because I find things that I can't even begin to bring to the show. So sure, but so I I think that her paper, uh, Marianne Beavis, her her paper is important 
for, for that reason, because she was actually noted in her paper that a lot of times this isn't picked up on, uh, that she hadn't seen it talked about before. And I'm like, this is, this is why we need that female voice paying attention to female characters and what happens with mm-hmm. them. Uh, not because women are better scholars or men are better scholars. I mean, it's not the question. The question is how your worldview helps you understand what's in the text. And sometimes your worldview will give you a better understanding that you can share with me versus what I brought to it myself. Yep. And so, um, and having women doing these, this kind of work really helps us see those, those themes of how important women are to God. So anyway, enough on that. We're back to Jephthah's story in Judges 12. And, you know, up to this point, Jephthah, he's conquered the Ammonites. He's made the vow and he's killed his daughter. Mm -hmm. So he got seven more verses that, that conclude his story. And basically what we're walking into is a repeat of what happened with Gideon after his first victory. The tribe of Ephraim, they show up and they're angry because they hadn't been summoned to, to battle. And this. Yeah. Which is funny because again, (laughs) we have a reversal. Instead of the leader going, where were you? They're like, why didn't you call us? Yeah. Yeah. And and they're mad. And that kind of, it leads to some question to me. Okay. So to me, it's really funny. Okay. It's like, why didn't you invite us to your fight? <laughs> right. Like, seriously, what, why were they so, I want to know why they, why were they so ready to go into a battle? No, see, I get this because of who I'm married to. Because, you know, before Ty settled down and became a respectable member of the population, he was the person who, why wasn't I involved in the bar fight? And he and okay, his dad okay. would go to that I do together. have something really funny on this. And this was the, we're going to file this under other oddities. Um, okay, so I was jamming with this band down in, uh, down in Dallas when I lived down there for a while. And, one, and the drummer said something about a bar fight. And I was like, you know, I've never been in a bar fight. I have no interest in being in one. And he goes... You, what you never been in a bar fight i was like no he's like man that's more fun than laser tag <laughs> you know i i really i think there are some people who are pre-wired to actually enjoy that sort of thing um you know i'm not one of them you're obviously not, I, one, of not them. one of them but yeah so that's that's a little funny story about people who are excited about fighting <laughs> well my question was with ephraim do they really want to be a part of the fight or do they just want to be on the winning side? Cause they always show up after the victory. They whine about not being included. And it's like, you knew the Ammonites were a problem. Where were you? Yeah. Why couldn't you get organized <laughs> to fix this? Maybe they wanted some of the spoils. That's, I mean, that's the only thing that I can like that makes sense to my mind. Well, spoils and then prestige. I think, you know, if we're on the winning side, then we can say, hey, yeah, we helped beat them. Uh, but, you know, before that, it's like, uh, there's some doubt. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm asking the question because right. we, we can't go back and know what was going on in their heads. And so on the surface, I mean, you really feel like this is going to be a repeat of that Gideon episode. Mm-hmm. But again, we're hit with that reversal because Gideon, he placates, he flatters, and he, he just makes them sound like they're so great that he wouldn't have been. He wouldn't have bothered them with such a trifling little battle. Uh, Jephthah just, where were you? Yeah. Uh, he's in, he's, 
in their face. And he, he even claims that there were messengers that were sent out that were ignored. Well, we already know that he plays fast and loose with history. So here's the question. Did he really send out messengers? Well, okay. So yeah, there's that. The other thing, I mean, and I, I'm not sure if this is where you're going with it. Ultimately, <laughs> I might be jumping ahead in your notes, but, but what I see in this is, is there's like a, you don't need an invitation to, to do good. And in the, in, in, you know, you can say what going to war, we can talk about the ethics of that later, but right. ultimately in the story, the getting rid of the Ammonites is, there's Ammonites or Amorites? Ammonites. Ammonites. Yeah, I know um, it's real close. It's, uh, the, uh, getting rid of the Ammonites was the good. And right. so it's like, you don't, you, you never need an invitation to do something good. Yeah. I, and, and so a, a lot of times I, it's, um. Uh, who was it I was listening to? Uh, I can I can see him. I, it was, I, Good old what's his name? Never will forget him. Uh, Donald <laughs> Donald Miller. Okay. Um, he was uh, he was giving a, a talk and I have a video of it. I think it was in the Free Market Jesus. Oh, such a good presentation. That was a good presentation. And it, what I liked about one of the things that he said was, you know, we we tend to feel like we need some we need someone to put together a Christian organization for us to go and do good. Mm -hmm. And he's like, we don't, he's like, go, go join one of the other groups. That's already helping poor people. Yeah. Just go and, and do it. And I actually, and so I'm going to go on a bit of a tear here. Um, I'll sit back there. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's right now it's really popular. And again, I'm going to get political a bit, but not like political, not in the parties and stuff, but right now it's, it's really popular among the more evangelical churches to rag on how terrible social justice is and how it's a Trojan horse that's coming into the church and ruining people for the gospel and things like that. They've and obviously never read the prophets. It, well, it, and that's, that's exactly right. I mean, yeah. And if you don't feel like reading the prophets, read Brueggemann. Right. Uh, so uh, if you can, uh, but the, uh, He'll, he'll summarize a lot of this, but it's frustrating to me because there are times when people who are not Christians are right about some things. Mm -hmm. And when they say, hey, there are people who are, who are suffering, we need to say, we don't need to say, oh, well, you're just being a socialist or you're just being, you know, whatever. Uh, we need to say, yes, they're hurting people. How can we help? Right. And we need to we need to find the people in the church who want to be part of this and not be afraid that, oh, we're going to get contaminated by people who want to help others. Well, and how many social programs sponsored by the state would be necessary if the church was doing their job? Right. Not right. to put too fine of a point on it. So, it, so there's that. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, it just frustrates me when I hear that. I'm like, we, OK, what we need to do is we need to say, OK, what you're saying here, this part is true. And yes, I can agree this needs to be addressed. What, what should the church be doing? Because it's perfectly okay to disagree with, with the tactics or the, the, the systems that we think might be most beneficial. But mm -hmm. I think if we can agree there's a need and we both approach, you know, both sides approach addressing it the best they can, mm -hmm. then maybe we might make some progress. Yeah. I, instead of just complaining about, well, that's not good enough and it, doing nothing except for continuing to yeah, complain. And, and, and instead of bickering, instead of bickering over, uh, you know, who's, whose name's going to go on the banner. 
I think right? is, that's the frustrating thing to me because, yeah. <laughs> you know, if we're doing, if we're doing right, we're doing right. We don't need, again, we don't need an invitation to do it. Just do it. And if, and, and we're getting invitations all over the place anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. You just have to be willing and, and stop worrying about, you know, well, if I help this person out, are they just going to use it to buy drugs or booze or whatever? you know, be, be responsible. And, and, but ultimately it's up to that person, whether they abuse your gift mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you know, and really, okay. So my little tear, God offers us a gift and we have every opportunity to abuse it and yeah. he doesn't withdraw it because of that. Right. So thank him for that. And so we need to be following that example. And I mean, and we can see this even with Yephtha. Um, sorry, Jephthah uh, slipped into the Hebrew there no, for a second, uh, because like you said, he, he was educated. He, he obviously had power and prestige in, in this community. Right. And he turns it around and he, he misuses it. Mm -hmm. And so, but he still remembered as someone of faith. So there, there's, there's a lot of application that we can draw. And it's funny to me when I started this, I mean, I really didn't think there was going to be this much application. Right. right. And, um, you know, I, I tend to be kind of hesitant to talk about application sometimes because we do wind up getting very real about some issues within our society and our church. And we don't want to offend anyone, but at the same time I have to, I think we're having to be okay with being offensive because, you know, Jesus was offensive. Right. And, yeah. And it's, and it's okay if you speak the truth and it, and offends some people, um, right. as long as we don't fall into the trap of, of, uh, well, what we're saying is offensive. So it must be the gospel. That's an equation that doesn't work both ways. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and so, and I think, you know, we are trying to base this on what is present in the word. And I actually, I was not going to that conclusion, uh, with, with that. I, but I think it's the right one to draw. I, I one of the right ones to draw. Yeah. So I'm sorry. And that was something that just occurred to me as we were <laughs> going on there, but I, you know, and then. And then I just yeah. needed to say that. Well, it, no, <laughs> I get it. Cause I mean, that Yephtha is, Jephtha is, um, I don't know why I'm flipping over to the Hebrew right yeah, now. It's fine. But Jephtha, anyway, Jephtha, they're the same person if she says one or the other. Yeah. Uh, he is, he's very confrontational because instead of placating like Gideon did, he, he basically turns around and says, hey, you should have been here. You should have been participating. And I have a right to do what I'm going to do because my countrymen are behind me. Mm -hmm. I've been chosen by the men of Gilead to, to lead. And because I belong with them, then you, you need to accept it. I'm just following the dictates of my people. Right. And so we kind of get a, a glimpse into to Jephthah's heart there because go back to the beginning of his, his story. He's the son of a prostitute. He has been driven from his home. Belonging was going to be everything to this man. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I'm reading too much into the text to see that. I mean, I, I don't know anyone who was an outcast from early on who doesn't long for that place to fit. Right. And, you know, he has risen above every obstacle thrown at him to become the head of Israel. And so what, what kind of propels him into finally taking action is the insult in verse four. He says, you are, uh, this is what the Ephraimites are saying to Jephthah. You are fugitives from Ephraim. You, you're Gileadites, uh, sorry, Gileadites in the midst of Ephraim and Manasseh. 
So it's a, it seems like such a weird insult. I mean, you were fugitives, but remember who he was. He was an outcast. He surrounded himself with, with worthless men at the beginning of his story. Mm-hmm. Um, he, that was his identity, the one that he thought he had escaped. And they're saying, and they're flipping it again. We're, we're always flipping things in judges. They're flipping it where he thought he had escaped the identity. And now he's head of this great group of people. Mm-hmm. Ephraim saying, because you are following this man, he's saying this to the Gileadites, because you're following this worthless guy, you're worthless. Mm-hmm. Not just Jephthah, the entire clan of Gilead, y'all are, y'all are nothing. Hmm. And so basically everyone unites and they, they capture the river crossings. And what happens is kind of an interesting little story. This is a weird little story. <laughs> It, it, it is. I mean, it, it's a really bizarre thing. They, they, they capture the river crossing. And when people coming out of Ephraim cross, cross the river, they make them say Shibboleth. Now, what does that word mean? Okay. It, it can mean one of two things. It's kind of unclear. It can mean flood or ear of corn. So evidently, they just pick the word that has the most regional dialect imposed yeah, the, on the it. The greatest dialectical difference. Pretty much because <laughs> the meaning really doesn't matter. Uh, it, the, the point is that, well, well, you know, it'd be like asking someone from Boston to say car keys, you know, or something. <laughs> khakis. khakis. <laughs> or, I mean, it really. Do you drink pop or soda? Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it, 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 but it's even more pronounced. fizzy drink. That, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so, yeah. Are you, are you really one of us? Yeah. Exactly. And I think even the, the fact that the word is pronounced so differently by these two different regions, we're seeing how fractured the tribes are becoming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that really illustrates the fact that, you know, they had entered into this land kind of as a cohesive group. Mm-hmm. They fought together. They had overcome great enemies together. And as they've settled in and they've allowed these other outside um peoples to become a part of their their tribes and part of their lives and they're intermarrying with them i mean this is still going on mm-hmm. they're they're joining with other people um foreign nations to worship their gods they aren't seeing themselves as israel so much anymore as they're seeing themselves as these individual little tribes mm-hmm. existing within a, a the greater narrative of canaan yeah i mean to the point to the point that their language itself is changing right i mean there's a there's something fun for you yeah. Oh man, that's a whole. Um, yeah, we we aren't going to go there. Uh, so they, we don't have time for that. No, we don't have time for that. But it, basically, if you if you pronounced it Sibboleth instead of Shibboleth, then you you were killed because they knew you were from Ephraim, and so it's that little of a difference the uh, the S or the SH sound at the beginning. And now this this methodology of gra- of taking over river crossings that's happened before we've seen it in judges 3 27 through 30 and 7 24 through 25 the first time it's used against the moabites the second time it's used against the midianites and the big difference here it's being used against israelites mm-hmm. and this is the problem and but we're also reminded gideon was willing to kill his fellow men abimelech was willing to kill his fellow men i mean mm-hmm. it, it was it was there's no problem killing family. And, you know, Jephthah has shown that he's, he's even stepping it up. Yeah. Abimelech sees power by killing his brothers. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to kill my daughter. 
And so, you know, we're seeing this downward spiral that Israel as a nation is going through. And and he winds up killing 42,000 people from Ephraim. Mm -hmm. That's not an insignificant number. No, it's not at all. A large number of people. Yeah, I mean that's it's insane. So now that's basically the end of his story. Other than we're told he died, there is one little. He judged for six more years. Six more years and was buried. Yeah, what does your say? He was buried where? Uh, In the city in his city of Gilead. Okay, that's not what the Hebrew says. So this is a fun little fun little story. Okay. The the Hebrew, <laughs> yeah. Let's see what see what the GPS go ahead, says. Go ahead, but I'm gonna look this up okay. here. So the Hebrew actually says he was buried in the cities of Gilead, <laughs> and so as you can imagine, this caused the sages and rabbis. Somebody was done with him, <laughs> right? Well, were they? Because the 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 story that the rabbis came to to explain this, so they they didn't go with, oh, well, this is a scribal error. They said this must actually be what it says. Okay, so here it says he was buried in one of the towns of Gilead is how the JPS does it. Okay, so they they tried to soften it. So there is a commentary on Leviticus, and uh, if you read a rabbinic commentary on any book of the Bible, you know you're going to go through all of the the books of the Bible because they want to see how they all tie together. And so they claim that as punishment for sacrificing his daughter god made jephthah die in stages and so as each piece of his body died a leg a foot a hand it it, it just fell off hmm. and wherever it fell off was the city that it was buried in so wow yeah yeah because the rabbis wanted you to know child sacrifice cannot be okay. condoned yeah it's not okay <laughs> that's i had never heard that that's and that's that's one of the just Talmudic yeah. commentaries. There's right, not in scripture. <laughs> this that's, is tradition. And so and you have so, to remember a so lot. They're, they're saying he would have had like something like leprosy, or uh, pretty much, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, and because I mean that was the effect of. I mean, we know that's not leprosy. What they call leprosy in the Bible is not what we call leprosy today, right? Um, but yeah, there, just this wasting disease that that caused him to just fall apart bit by bit. And so I, I'm having this image. I think it was the movie of Death Becomes Her. Uh, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Were they? yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and when, when we have rabbinic and commentary, one of the things that we're looking at is they're trying to provide the sternest warnings for the people possible. Mm-hmm. And so that's the reason why they make this even more horrifying than what it was before. But I could so see this being a Tim Burton movie. Because um, yeah. a lot of Tim Burton's movies, uh, just real quick, a lot of people don't realize they are based on Jewish folklore. So right. like The Corpse Bride. Yeah. So uh, interesting what you can do. So, okay, back to Jephthah. Um, because yeah, he could have been the one who overcame. Mm-hmm. He, he had all these crazy things. You know, the illegitimate son, born to a prostitute, driven out of his family, forced to be among the worthless people of the society. But he was excellent with words, fantastic Mm -hmm. negotiator, great politician. He had an education and he uses his giftings in this very unbalanced way. Mm -hmm. And because he's driven by selfish motivation and, you know, he was 
not just selfish motivation, but the greatest wound of his heart. And when he allowed that wound to become the driving force, now we have a problem. And because he sees all of those gifts as a means to power instead of ways to minister to his family, ways Mm -hmm. to minister to his fellow Israelites, it all becomes about him. And the story really is about an individual more so than the nation because he's he's a microcosm of what's going on in the nation. Right. And what he was doing, everyone in the country is doing. And really he's he's enacting what it's just gonna happen. It's the unavoidable outcome of this kind of bad theology that's invaded the country. Mm. And in some ways, this makes him the most honest person in the country. And he's not really hiding his theology. It's on full display. Right. He's, he's not dressing it up. And so we, we've got this, this kind of cautionary tale, but I think the, there's something more going on here. And I think what we've got going on here is God is using Jephthah as an example of what's going on in the spiritual realm. Okay. And so we've got to define some terms. Okay. Jephthah is, and I don't, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but this is a term that is used in scripture. He's a bastard. Mm-hmm. Now, in Hebrew, in the Hebrew uh, religion, this is someone born of an illicit union. Right. Okay. I know you know that because we've been listening to Mary and Bram together. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's so good. Yes, she is. And in Second Temple Lit, we find there are these things called bastard spirits. So in we find these in the Book of Enoch. We find them in Jubilee. Right. And we also find them in um, the Dead Sea Scrolls material. Sure. So we refer to them as demons. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to give you a real quick origin of demons overview because I think this is important. Yeah. Okay. So there's no direct references to demons in the Old Testament. We know that. They, right. they just show up in the New Testament. If you look in the Old Testament for demons, the closest you're going to get are two terms, the Shadim and the Seir. Mm-hmm. Um, Deuteronomy 32, 17, demons who were no gods is what that verse says. Mm-hmm. Psalms 106, that's the English translation. Psalms 106, 37, they sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. Uh, again, English translation, still debated. Leviticus 17, 7, goat demons after whom they whore. Second Chronicles 11, 15, goat idols. Isaiah 13, 21, and 3414, wild goats, and the King James often re- um, translate that as satyrs. Okay. So that's all, I mean, that's the totality of the verses you're going to find in the Bible that deal with anything that comes close to being a demon. Now, the mm-hmm. English sometimes does re- translate it as demon. There's great debate whether that's appropriate or not. But I think the bigger point is these are evil be- beings. They're always connected with false gods. Mm-hmm. And the worship of false gods, and they're sometimes sent as judgment. Okay. So the problem is not one of these passage, there, there's, 
there's no origin story. We, we aren't told where they come from. Oh, I just realized I have notes on the back of that. Oh, well, what do you got there? Okay. Yeah, because I'm going to read this. So for the explanation of where demons come from, we have to go to the first book of Enoch, okay. uh, also known as the book of Watchers. So I'm going to read this. Um, you can find this online. First book of Enoch, chapter 15, 8 through 9. But now the giants who are born from the union of spirits of flesh that shall be called evil spirits upon the earth and inside the earth, evil spirits have come out of their bodies. So evil spirits have come out of the body of the giants. Because from the day that they were created from the holy ones, they became the watchers. Talking about the holy ones becoming the watchers. Their first origin is spiritual foundation. They will become evil upon the earth and shall be called evil spirits. So basically, the giants who died, and this is talking about the giants who inhabited Canaan. Mm -hmm. This is the giants who uh, were around before the flood. Mm -hmm. King Og, when they died because they were not angelic, so they didn't belong in heaven. They are not human, so they are not part of the plan of redemption. Right. They don't fit. They're born of that illicit union, so they are a bastard spirit. And they, they're stuck here on earth is kind of one way to think about it. And so the, these bastard spirits are supposed to be attacked by Gabriel. Enoch 10, 9, the Lord said to, to Gabriel, proceed against the bastard spirits and the reprobates and the sons of the watchers from amongst the men. So and which verse was that? That was Enoch 10, 9. Okay. So we're going to plug all this information into Jephthah. So God has divided the nations according to the sons of God. Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. Yep. Okay. Each, each nation has an angel or son of God. who's supposed to point worship back to the mm-hmm. one true God. Mm-hmm. Psalms 82. Some of the sons of God had children with women of, of men, mm-hmm. uh, human women. Genesis 6, 1 through 4, their deaths resulted in demons, as I just read, Enoch 15, 8, and 9. Mm-hmm. Both the watchers and the bastard spirits pose as gods to be worshipped. Deuteronomy 32, 7, Psalms 106, 37, Leviticus 17, 7. Now, we know the identities of these, either the sons of God or the bastard spirits. They're, they're Baal, they're Chemosh, they're Moloch. Mm-hmm. We, we've got them in the Bible. We know who they are. They've been showing up throughout the book of Judges. So worshiping these, these watchers or bastard spirits entailed two things every single time. One was sexual rituals. Mm-hmm. Two was child sacrifice. Right. So when Jephthah begins to bargain with God, he demonstrates that he sees God as no different as these foreign gods. Yahweh is not distinct hmm. from these bastard spirits. Think of what he's saying about God. He's saying that he is no better than the bastard spirits. Whoa, not a good thing. Yeah, that's not, yeah, that's not okay. <laughs> and so this, this perversion of theology isn't just some philosophical difference. It, it's not just some kind of abstraction. I mean, it has real implications in the spiritual world. Mm-hmm. And this is what leads him to this, these horrifying actions. And he's not just killing his daughter. He killed 42,000 of his brothers. Mm-hmm. So first Enoch 10, 9. And send them out against one another and let them destroy themselves. Talking about the bastard spirits here. In battle that they will not have length of days and that they will petition you, but their fathers will gain nothing in respect of them. So now we have this connection again to Jephthah. He's fighting against his brothers. 
his mm-hmm. he does not have length of days because he killed his daughter. Mm-hmm. He cut off his legacy. So we've got that connection to what's happening in this event with in the, like I said, in the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. So he's acting just like these sons of the, I mean, he's acting like one of the Nephilim. Sure. Sure. And he doesn't understand what it is to be a good father because it's not been modeled for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, his earthly father, obviously not a great guy. He's out visiting prostitutes. Right. The spiritual fathers that he knows at this point are Chemish and Moloch. And he knows Yahweh's in there somewhere, but he, he's not focusing on the whole presentation of himself that God has given at Sinai. He's right. only looking at those bits and pieces. And then we have the sins of the watchers destroying their own children. Jephthah's father's sin with the, with the prostitute destroyed Jephthah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in turn, Jephthah destroyed his child. So specifically, even that uh, the point that ties it more so even to this is Jephthah destroys his daughter through a vow. Mm-hmm. So first, first Enoch, six through four, let us swear an oath and bind one another with oh, curses. Yeah. Not to alter this plan, but to carry out this plan effectively. Then they all swore together and bound one another with curses to it. So, right, I mean, we're, we're right back there at that spot mm-hmm. with, with the oath. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the story, this is where Shemaziah uh, actually, him and the angels who are going to take the women as wives, vow that they're going to do this. They know God's not going to be happy about it but they're going to vow to bear the consequences together. Mm-hmm. And so in doing this, they, they do destroy their children because they create children that are not supposed to exist, but are allowed to remain in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm mm-hmm. that interacts with the physical realm. And so God allows the natural consequences to play out just like he allowed Jephthah to his story to play out. Mm -hmm. And I think that overall, what we were, what we're being shown is even one who is allowed to actively participate in God's plan. We're capable of great evil when we have the wrong views on God. Yeah. And because I mean, who had a more perfect understanding of God at this point than the watchers, those angels that decided to fall to earth and take those, um, take those women as wives. And so I think what we're seeing here is this Jephthah really becomes the embodiment of a bigger plan that's going on. And it just like what he's the microcosm of what's happening in Israel, he's the microcosm of what's happening in the spiritual realm. And I think we can see that. And I think Enoch brings all those, those points together mm-hmm. and uses the Jephthah story to, to illustrate this. Yeah. And so I, I'm, I was kind of shocked because I, I didn't find any commentators who, who upheld this. Right. Uh, I just kept going back. I mean, it was that one word that mm-hmm. kept that I'm like, I've got to look into this. And when I, I opened up the book and I started reading it and I, I, cause you, this is not a book that's been hidden away by the Catholic church and you can no longer get a hold of it. It's not in the basements of the Vatican. I promise you, I have a, several copies at my house and I was just reading through. Also, I didn't offer the, the required caveat 
this is not scripture, the book of Enoch, but it is important and uh, well, read with kid gloves. Yeah. Well, and, it, and it's, and it's important to, to understand that that that's the understanding that was brought to like the second temple mm-hmm. uh, era, like the, the Jews of Jesus day would have been thinking about the Bible and uh, cosmology mm-hmm. and things this with the lenses of the book of Enoch on. Right. And, and, you know, and, and I've, you know, the, the biblical writers even quote the book they held in Jude, high enough esteem. Second Peter, Paul and Jesus both allude to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it shows up. Uh, it just didn't enjoy the privilege of the protection of being canonized. Right. Um, so uh, even if it was divinely inspired, uh, we need to be just be careful with it. But I think it does reveal something. I, I think there's a lot of truth in it myself, uh, particularly the first part of Enoch, which is known as the Book of Watchers. Uh, starting to get into Enoch, the second Enoch and third Enoch. Those were much later. I, I don't put as much credence in them. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, Enoch offers us this, this insight into where these demonic beings came from. The book of Jubilees picks it up, which Jubilees is a retelling of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Some of that goes directly against Bible. So I don't even really include that as being all that important. But um, in doing this, giving us behind the scene looks and, re- and remembering that this is happening in the land of Canaan, where all of these gods that these spiritual beings, the watchers and those bastard spirits are so prevalent mm-hmm. and being worshipped. This is all playing out in such a, a, a crazy way. And it's not just a story about people. It's a, it's a story about eternity. Right. And I, I think that's, I think if I had time to sit down and like just actually write it up, I think I could really make a big case for how the the Jephthah story is being used. Yeah, that's interesting. So maybe someone else will. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm hoping that I'm providing like some jumping off points. Maybe somebody will pick up something I said and you know, do a doctorate on it and then I can yeah. go back and go, oh yeah, here's the rest of the supporting arguments. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, Need yeah. someone to proof text our show is what you're saying. Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, you know, it's, I, I'm seeing this and I, you know, that's the thing. Don't ever take any single Bible teacher as being, you know, perfect. Uh, we're, we're, nobody is. Right. And always double check against the text. And so um, I just had one final point on, on Jephthah. Yeah, go for it. Um, so I'd, I'm just going to read what I wrote here. It says, when we allow cultural per- and personal experience and our wounds to dictate how we define our faith instead of God's word, we are in a danger to ourselves, the ones we love, and our family of faith. And that's, I think that's the major message that, of Jephthah. That really, yeah. Because... The Bible doesn't say things we like, guys. It, it's just that simple. The rules <clears throat> God has imposed on us aren't always comfortable. Right. And so we just have to accept that. And accepting that is an act of faith. Mm-hmm. So if we want to be remembered, got to walk in that faith. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a good place to wrap up for this week. So everyone uh, tuning in, thanks for listening. And come back next week when... Are we done with Jephthah at that point? We, we are got, done with Jephthah. We're couple... moving into Shimshon, yeah. Samson. So much fun. <laughs> I, I've actually, as much as I have, uh, I think the story gets told a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited to to really look at this from from a little different perspective than what typically 
we hear it preached at in, in churches. Not as Hercules? Uh, yeah. So <laughs> so we'll get into that aspect of it and, and go from there. But um, so, yeah, everyone, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next week with Samson. Um, if you like what you heard, please uh, write us a review, share, share, share. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a question, send it to us. If you have a question, send it to us. Yeah, be part of the conversation. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter of Raven Creek SC mm-hmm. or RavenCreekSC.com can get you to all those places. Um, also gets you show notes. Um, most of the stuff we mention on the show, we do put links to it. Mm-hmm. So you can go check us out and make sure that we're not completely <laughs> crazy. Not I mean, completely. <laughs> and so... Um, yeah, but thanks. We, uh, we appreciate everyone who, who's part of this and we want to keep doing this for a while longer and, uh, yeah. So we'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.